but then to kind of step away from that, you know, for some people, I think it's a bit of an identity crisis because if I'm not a lawyer, uh, then what am I? And, and I think you, you, it takes a measure of self-confidence to be able to say, even though I'm not a lawyer, I'm still all of these other things. Uh, and I still have an enormous, you know, background and, and skill set that I can apply in any number of ways uh, that will ultimately make me happier. Uh, in many ways make more money and just add to a, just a more well-rounded life um, but but it, 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 it takes time to get there and you have to spend time with people outside I think many times outside of the uh, off the hamster wheel of being an attorney to really understand that you have other options uh, that many times are, are a better choice for you hi everyone this is personal jurisdiction a podcast where we get personal with lawyers about their careers. Personal Jurisdiction is hosted by the amazing Allison Friedman and by me, Hallie Ritsu. We have made it to the end of season one. Today's episode will be the last interview of season one for Personal Jurisdiction, but don't worry, we'll be back with a few bonus episodes and with season two in 2022. So stay tuned and thank you for your support. Today, we're so excited to welcome John Mack to the podcast. John is the Director of Athletics at Princeton University. He's a graduate of Princeton University and of the Northwestern University Pritzker School of Law. John joined Princeton University as Athletic Director this summer. Prior to that, he has experience practicing litigation at firms in both Chicago and in Detroit. In this episode, we talk with John about his path to law school and why it's okay to leave the traditional practice of law and take those transferable skills with you wherever you'd like to go. Enjoy the show. John, we're so excited you're here. Thank you for joining us on Personal Jurisdiction. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. So we just want to start off with a little bit of your actually pre-law school career because it's very important in your story to your current position. So if you can just tell us about what life was like for John Mack before law school. Uh, It's been kind of a circuitous journey uh, to me back where I started. Uh, you know, right after I graduated from, from college, uh, I moved back to Michigan and started working a job uh, at General Motors. Uh, and then um, by just you know, sheer coincidence, I happened to be back on campus at Princeton and ran into the athletic director. And he asked me, uh, what are you doing? And I explained what I was doing. And he said, have you ever thought about working in college athletics? And I said, absolutely. I, I want your job. Uh, <laughs> and he laughed and said, that's great. Uh, we don't have any jobs open at the moment. But if uh, something comes uh, open, I'll give you a call. And uh, lo and behold, three months later, he gave me a call and said, we have an internship uh, available. Call me back on Monday and let me know if you want it. Uh, and thus began my 11-year uh, career working uh, in intercollegiate athletics. Uh, I worked first uh, here at Princeton uh, for about three and a half years doing everything from uh, event operations. The guy who gets there early, turns the lights on, unlocks the gate and hires all the ticket takers and ushers uh, to marketing and throwing out t-shirts uh, and, and really uh, Gary Walters, who, who was the AD then, really gave me an opportunity to get my hands dirty and really see and learn how uh, athletic departments work. Uh, after that, I, I, I moved to Chicago to work at the Big Ten Conference headquarters. Uh, and again, just had a wonderful experience. Uh, I was the associate director of championships. Uh, as I say, I was the guy that everyone was happy to see coming because I was always showing up handing out trophies. Um, <laughs> yes. but you know, 
uh, our, our championship staff, we, we oversaw uh, all of our, you know, tournaments, swimming championship, track and field, you know, you name it. We, uh, we did it uh, from event planning and staffing to the championship participation gifts. And so again, it was, I got to travel around uh, Big Ten Conference, visiting schools and developing relationships. And again, really seeing college athletics uh, from a different perspective. Uh, and then after about two and a half years there, I had the opportunity to go to work uh, to, at Northwestern. Uh, I was hired hired by Mark Murphy, who's now the president of the Green Bay Packers. Uh, he was the athletic director at Northwestern yeah. at the time, uh, a former, uh, also a former attorney. And uh, he, you know, just really brought me on and I oversaw all of our external affairs, uh, marketing, corporate sponsorships, media, community relations. Uh, as well as having direct administrative oversight of five uh, of our athletic teams. And so uh, I did that for about five years. So the sum total of my, my experience, uh, I had a much longer uh, runway uh, leading up to law school than most. Uh, it's about 11 years uh, working in, in and around uh, intercollegiate athletics in, in a wide variety of, of places. And, and I had a wonderful experience uh, doing that, which is part of the reason why I'm back doing it now. So John, with that decade of experience and a really exciting and interesting career before law school, what was it that took you to law school? Why'd you do it? Uh, uh, I think three things. Uh, one uh, that I, I jokingly tell people, but it's, it's partially true, is I went to law school because my wife told me to. Uh, <laughs> you know, always a good reason. Uh, my my wife is infinitely smarter uh, than I am, and just a better all around person. But uh, you know, when I worked in college athletics, I would always joke uh, that you know uh, I love what I'm doing, but if I had a chance to do it all over again, I'd go to law school. Uh, and, and after years of me saying that, my my wife finally looked at me one day and says, "Either stop, either go to law school or stop saying it. One or the other." <laughs> <laughs> And I think professionally, I was at a point where a law school was, was a, a really great opportunity and option for me. Uh, I, I think, you know, for me, and one of the things that I share with our current student athletes now is my first year and a half at Princeton as a student was, was really challenging academically. And I just, I wasn't prepared uh, for, for the, 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 the pace and the level of work and just, you know, how, uh, how tough it would be. And it took me a year and a half to two years to really get my footing academically. Uh, and so when I graduated, you know, from Princeton, I felt like I could compete with anyone intellectually and academically, uh, but had just kind of almost like I'd run out of time to really show what I could do. And I think law school for me gave me that opportunity to be in an academic environment uh, and really thrive in a way that, that uh, I hadn't done for part of my time at Princeton. The other piece was just, you know, I really thought that law school would be a good training ground. Uh, growing up, I loved two things, uh, sports and arguing. Uh, and <laughs> and our, I, I should say, which are very good. <laughs> thanks. I should say debating. Uh, you know, I would sit, you know, uh, at the foot of my parents' bed. My father and I would just debate things, you know, constantly. And my mother would get mad and just yell, "Go to bed." Uh, <laughs> but it was just something innate, and I, and I really wanted to kind of pursue. Uh, like, like all of us, you know, you watch A Few Good Men or Law and Order SVU and you see people yeah. making the case in the, the big gotcha moment. And I'm like, I could do that. Um, but also just kind of the, the, the intellectual training uh, that law school provided. And so uh, fall of 2011, uh, I left Northwestern Athletics and enrolled in Northwestern University School of Law. 
Okay, so John, two things. One, will you just fill us in on your uh, college athlete background, just so we have the full picture of that? Because obviously, you were in, you were in collegiate athletics from sort of the you know athletic director um, perspective for for eleven years. But before that, you know, as you said, you've always been interested in sports and, and arguing or debating. So, how did the <laughs> sports thread sort of come together? Uh, great question. Uh, I think like a lot of you know the current student athletes we have and people that I, you know, competed with in college, uh, sports had just always been a part of my life. You know, I, I come from a big sports crazy family. Uh, all six of my sisters played sports. Uh, and so it was just, you know, our, in, in the town that I grew up in, it, it, it's what you did. Uh, everybody played sports all the time. And I, I was fortunate enough to be uh, recruited as a track athlete uh, to come to Princeton uh, out of high school. And so w when I came here, um, being an athlete was just, you know, the natural thing. And, and for me, again, when I talk about getting acclimated to a college environment, I, I felt at home first as an athlete uh, before I felt at home uh, as a student on campus. And so uh, I, our team was really successful. I had a tremendous uh, experience uh, athletically and academically. My college coach, uh, Fred Samara, um, who was uh, an Olympian in 1972, has been coaching here at Princeton uh, for 44 years. Uh, so I now have the privilege of working with, you know, the man who recruited me to come here as an athlete wow. 25 years ago. And so uh, sports has, uh, has just been a huge, huge part of my life. Awesome. Okay, so uh, you take a little hiatus from sports. You decide, yes, I'm going to indulge that intellectual curiosity. I'm going to go to law school. You end up at Northwestern, which is where we were lucky enough to meet you. Um, so tell us, what about law school did you like? Were there any parts of it that you, you know, didn't particularly love? What was just like the law school experience for you like in general, especially as someone who had so much work experience? That's a really kind of unique position to be deciding to go back and become a student um, again and be with all of us like 20 year olds <laughs> who had no idea what we were doing and zero life experience. Yeah, it was it was. I loved uh, law school uh, globally. Uh, I think, again, for me, I went at the right time. Uh, having had that work experience allowed me to really be able to, to focus in when I needed to um, and, and understand kind of the broader perspective. I was there to kind of to get the skills, uh, to kind of learn, to build the relationships, and then ultimately to get a job. Uh, and so I loved being in an academic environment again uh, after such a long time away, longer than I had originally intended. Uh, and so, for example, when, when we're sitting down to take finals uh, in you know, one L year of law school and we're doing it on a laptop, I had only ever taken exams uh, with a pen and paper. So just <laughs> just simple things like that, the way that the world had changed during that right. 10 years uh, between. So having to adapt to everyone sitting in class with laptops and taking notes and just hearing okay. the kind of the click uh, of keyboards through law school was just a really interesting uh, transition to me. You know, I started law school with a wife, you know, and had yeah. been in Chicago for years. And so uh, it was different for me when when class was over, I, I went home. You know, and so I think it was after that first year where I really began to kind of engage more socially. Uh, but but I loved the intellectual challenge uh, of law school. Uh, I loved you know having the debates, having the conversations about what the law is, what the law should be, how to think through uh, 
arguments from from both sides, how to hear and anticipate arguments uh, from the opposing side. I mean, again, obviously for me, uh, as Allison knows, the highlight was being on on our national or Bartlett's international trial team uh, and mm -hmm. being able to uh, to do mock trial work, which is the thing that uh, most aspiring lawyers want to do and to actually be able to do it. And, and we had a great time doing it, but really being able to put into practice uh, the things that I wanted to do during law school in a, in a learning environment was fantastic. And, and I had so many great experiences being able to uh, work uh, as an intern at the Northern District uh, of Illinois, you know, U.S. Uh, Attorney's Office, and uh, you know, working at a, a juvenile criminal defense legal clinic. Law school, especially Northwestern law school specifically, afforded me so many different opportunities to kind of stretch uh, my understanding of what lawyers do on, on a daily basis. Uh, I mean, I will say the parts that I didn't enjoy, obviously, was uh, the volume of reading. Uh, <laughs> I will say the volume of reading that we were supposed to do, not the volume of reading that I actually did. Uh, right there with you. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, having, you know, I was really rusty uh, <laughs> academically coming in. And when you sit down looking at one Alec, constitutional law and criminal law and torts and trying to figure out wait how many hundreds of pages are we supposed to read this week uh so that was a bit of a challenge but i, I think you know partially because of, of the culture at northwestern's law school but but you know the people that i was able to meet there uh i really really enjoyed the experience i want to just touch a little bit more for a second on trial team we haven't really spent much time with any of our guests on that and you know obviously that was a big part of your law school year or and year, yours ca Allison. Ca career yeah <laughs> <laughs> and mine as well yes yeah well, i will single both of you out because i remember being in ita which was i don't even know what that meant trial advocacy something and you all would often um, be the demonstrators for things that we did in class. And I would just sit there thinking, how do they know so much already? Yeah. It was so intimidating. <laughs> to be fair, I was just the talker. Allison was the one who actually knew things. Uh, <laughs> and, and as she will, if she's being honest, she will tell you we'd get to a, a competition. I'd make a great argument. The opposing side would object. And then I'd look at Allison to see how I was supposed to respond. Uh, so we, we were a very, very good team that way. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we were. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you'll just tell us a little bit more about trial team and how that kind of shaped your experience. Obviously, you came in, as you said, knowing that you what well, you know, probably wanted to be a litigator, that you loved yeah. debating and that you had done that even as a child at home. Yeah. But kind of how trial team tied into your sort of vision of, of where you might go with your career or what it meant to be kind of a lawyer. Yeah, uh, I think one of the great things and, you know, uh, Rick Levin, who was our, our, our coach and, and professor, was just, you know, incredible at teaching us just uh, tools of, of trial advocacy that are really just almost just as useful as, as public speaking tools, right? Engaging the audience, uh, kind of the pace of when you speak, the inflection in your voice about movement when you're standing in front of the crowd. Those things have such wide application uh, and, and, you know, again, learning that in that kind of environment was really, really helpful. Uh, I think for me, critically, when we talk about our, our competitions and you know you get uh, a fact pattern and a story and details to start with, and you really have to kind of craft a defense or craft a prosecution. Uh, and, and you learn that a lot of time facts are neutral. You know, One fact that you might think 
obviously says one thing. Uh, somebody across the room says, no, this fact actually says that. And you have to learn how to anticipate those things. Uh, you know, it's one of the ways we worked really collaboratively as a team, being able to think, okay, if I'm the prosecution, what does this bloodstain mean? Or what does this placement of, of a weapon mean? Or what does this conversation that the victim had the day before actually mean? And how, not only how can I use that to, to make my case, to advance my argument, but what are the ways I need to be prepared to, to cut off the opposing side's argument? And, and so it really teaches you uh, to look at things in more of a, a 360 degree lens uh, I think so many people look at things and, you know, whether it's uh, a fact or whether it's argument only in terms of what it means to them, and, you know, and, and, and they, they, they miss the completely the other side of, of what that fact could mean. And I think when you learn to view things in, in that frame that, that they, you know, no fact, it means just one thing. It helps you intellectually and makes you more effective uh, as attorney, as an attorney, whether it's in, in brief writing or oral argument or negotiations, whatever it is. Yeah, I always thought it was so helpful and incredibly stressful also when we had to do both sides of the same case. And so you would get up in one one half of the tournament and be the defense, and then you'd have to turn right back around in the next round and be the prosecution. And that yeah. was terrifying because it was really hard to <laughs> switch back and forth. But at the same time, as you said, it was super helpful for you know thinking through a, a whole case and anticipating what the other side was going to say, which is, of course, a huge skill for, for lawyers in the real world as well. Yeah, and, and you learn how to take, you know, facts or arguments that other teams have made that you hadn't thought of and how do we incorporate that in, into the way that we've approached in the case that we've built uh for the next round or the next argument and so to me it, it was it was great real world uh great practice for the real world right if you're writing a brief and you get a response okay how do i incorporate what they've said into a reply that reinforces you know, the arguments that I want to make, or how do I do that in a rebuttal, uh, in oral argument to, to really uh, drive home the points I want to make. And I will just say that I think that was one of your greatest strengths was being able to take the other side's arguments and just turn them right back around on them. <laughs> and so it was always like John would get up and do the closing and it would be like, wow, he just incorporated the entire other side's case like, right this second into the closing argument on the fly. So I, I think so. that is a product of growing up with a bunch of very quick-witted and sharp-tongued sisters yes. uh, who literally, that's just uh, the way we relate Survival. to each other, is being able to turn an argument on its head uh, in a moment uh, and also having thick skin. So uh, I attribute that, that to my, uh, my family. Those are really important skills. So, John, as you were going through your law school career at Northwestern, what did you start to think about as far as post-law school jobs? You know, again, for me, I, I knew from day one litigation uh, was what I wanted to do. Even though I didn't have a full understanding uh, of what litigation was, mm -hmm. I knew I didn't want to read contracts uh, all day. So whatever the other option was, that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, I, I probably started law school with as little understanding of legal practice as, as anybody in our class. But you know, as, as I moved through, I, I knew it was it was you know oral argument. It was you know being on my feet. It was doing the things that just came naturally to me. Uh, everything else was just a path to being able to, to do that. Yeah. Uh, and, and it was also trying to sift through uh, what the, not just what the area I wanted to work in, but what kinds of work I wanted to do. 
you know, I, I wanted to be able to uh, do some criminal work and I want to be able to work at, you know, the U.S. Attorney's Office as an intern. And I think law school at Northwestern was fantastic uh, to create and provide those opportunities. So uh, to me, it was about, you know, being able to get out and really get a chance to do the work I wanted to do. You know, I had given up a whole other career that I enjoyed for this opportunity. Yeah. And so I wanted to make sure uh, that I was taking advantage of it. Um, and, and really trying to learn uh, as I went through law school what, what all the available options are, because I think that's one of the, the, the challenges uh, mm -hmm. for young attorneys or for, for law students is you just see, you know, either big law or, you know, working for nonprofits. And there's such a wide scope uh, of legal practice and or how your law, law degree uh, can serve you both working inside and outside the law. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, I, I, I wanted to practice, you know, I wanted to have that experience and, and you know, uh, see what kind of lawyer I could be. Shout out to the many different options that are available to lawyers. And one of the reasons why we're doing this podcast um, is to, to help inform law students and young lawyers about all the career options that are out there. Because as you said, it seems like to you and I know to me and Hallie that it was big law or maybe something nonprofit-ish, if I even really knew what public interest was, sort of. Right. Um, so we know that you did go after law school um, in your first career. You worked at a large law firm in Chicago. So how did you kind of, you know, go down that path and then maybe navigate that first sort of career move, especially because you said, you know, you do want to be in the courtroom and to be arguing. And as we all know, um, there's not necessarily a ton of opportunities immediately at large law firms for young associates to get that kind of experience. Right. I think that was one of the really critical, you know, uh, factors in my decision to go to the firm that I worked at for the law school is that, you know, they had a huge pro bono uh, practice that was was how they helped train younger attorneys to get into court to do the oral arguments. Uh, and, it, and it stood out to me uh, among the, the among all the firms that I was considering at the time uh, just for that reason. Uh, again, I think it's easy to get swept up in big law, the, the, the salary is higher, and the, the names uh, are often more uh, more sexier, more attractive. But at the rea uh, end of the day, you kind of have to look at uh, what is the best fit. Uh, I think having had a career before law school, I'd had the benefit of, of going on job interviews, of, of having to, to try to sift through culture and workplace environment. And I, those all of those things factored into my decision uh, of which firm to go to when I was coming out of law school that I think a lot of law students don't always place uh, enough value on. Uh, the play, it can have the best reputation, it can have the best you know, name, um, but maybe the culture is not great or maybe it's not the right fit for you. And I think those are the things that really at the end of the day make or break your experience. What is their mentoring like? What are the opportunities for young you know, uh, associates like, um, again, the, the there's not really a, such a thing as, as work-life balance many times when you're working in big law. And so, you know, being okay with, can I spend the next four or five years working 22, 2400 hours a year, or maybe I'm better off at a smaller firm where, you know, I won't get the multi-million dollar kinds of cases, but you know what, in my first year, I'll get to argue a motion. I'll get to, you know, try my hand at writing a brief. And so really kind of looking at the long term of what I wanted my career to look like and going to a place that I thought would best serve uh, serve that objective. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I think just the, the fit 
piece that you're talking about, I think is really important to pick up on because, um, you know, as you said, there are so many law firms out there and they all have, you know, benefits and drawbacks and they're sort of all, you know, in, in the mix of, of various things that you can look at, but it depends on what you're looking for personally. And so I think it can be, you know, talking to other people about their experience at that particular firm or, you know, doing a lot of research about what's most important to you, whether it's pro bono work or, you know, getting into court early or whatever it is, um, I think is so, so valuable. And it can be kind of hard to do as a law student. I think I remember sorting through lots of websites and thinking like, they all do all of the things. Like, how am I supposed to know, you know, what's, what's, what, what's what here? Yeah. Um, And I think, yeah, talking to people um, and really like doing some some due diligence on the firms can be so helpful because it's hard to tell from the internet. It it is. And, you know, again, that's where me having taken such a long time uh, after graduating worked in my favor because I had tons of friends who were already lawyers uh, who could kind of tell me, well, maybe this place isn't the best or this firm you know is really good in this area or i know someone at this firm that you might want to talk to to help me kind of build uh an idea of what kind of firm i was looking for and i think for for law students you can never go wrong by reaching out to people and trying to to pull on whatever network and opportunities you have to get honest feedback about firms uh everybody looks great during oci Mm-hmm. Right. When they're they're trying to wine you and dine you and all even highlighters. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, the water bottles, all of it, you know, uh, it's 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 a sales pitch and, and rightfully so. And it's effective. Um, but that doesn't mean it's necessarily the right fit for you. And so being able to lean on, you know, some of the upperclassmen who who graduated before you from, from law school who are out working in some of the firms, you know, being able to say, hey, do you have 15 minutes to tell me what your uh, what your experience is really like? Uh, I, I think, you know, I have always found that people are more than willing to, to give you 15 minutes to, to talk uh, about their experience. And so uh, I would always encourage, you know, law students not to be afraid. Uh, look at people who went to the same undergrad as you or who are from uh, working in the area that you want to. Uh, whatever options you can, you know, use to, uh, that are at your disposal, so that you can make the best choice for you. I've always tried to to, to take jobs based on feel and, and how I feel with the staff that's already there, and and if it's the best fit for me, rather than the the name brand uh, on on the building. That's a smart approach, and definitely having had work experience and a decent amount of time in a work environment helps you make those decisions. So John, you spent about a year at Jenner in Block in Chicago, and then you moved to Detroit and you moved on to a smaller firm. Tell us about why you made that decision. So after, after a year of working in Chicago, uh, during, <laughs> it, was, it was an eventful first year. Uh, we, my wife and I, we had our first child. Uh, and, and also, um, my father had been diagnosed with cancer and, and you know, we, we made the decision that we wanted to be closer to family. Um, my wife was in medical school at the time, so uh, we needed help. <laughs> uh, you know, with, yeah. Oh, actually, she was in her residency, so her being in residency and me being, uh, you know, in my you know early stages of a legal career, we just wanted to be at a place where we uh, had a little bit more of a network and, and support, and, mm-hmm. and also to to be close to my father, you know, for whatever time he has left. So mm-hmm. we we moved made the move to Detroit. Uh, again, it was it was a smaller firm than what, what I had been at in Chicago, but but a, a big firm. By, by Michigan standards, um, and and the experience was um, 
similar in terms of the work. Um, it was not uh, it was not the best fit for me, and I think I, I didn't do as much research as I probably should have when, when trying to decide uh, a firm in in Michigan that I wanted to work for. And I think you know again there were some bumps there that I probably could have avoided you know uh, if I had been a little bit more intentional. Uh, but I think it was just we wanted to move, we wanted to kind of get there. And so, you know, it's like, well, it's legal work, a job is a job. Uh, and again, I didn't really take my own advice about trying to find the best <laughs> best fit, uh, which I think, you know, it's kind of part of the experience of, you know, being a grown up and working jobs. Sometimes you end up in a place where, you know, maybe it wasn't a good fit and have to try to figure out what, you know, what's the exit strategy. What, why would you say that it wasn't a good fit or what were the things that, you know, kind of led you to decide that you wanted to make a, a change away from sort of that particular environment? Yeah. And, and no, and, and I'm happy to, to, to talk about it, you know, cause I think it's important. Uh, I, I think uh, one was, uh, you know, not understanding and really doing the work to understand that the firm that I had been at uh, in Chicago was a, a litigation heavy, a litigation driven firm. Uh, whereas the one I went to in, in, you know, Michigan, was you know driven by the commercial side right and, and so there wasn't the same uh breadth or depth of opportunity uh the firm was also going through a really uh contentious reorganization uh, of the litigation department so during the year that i was there they they fired uh, a number of, of the partners uh and, and the litigation staff was maybe 30 to 40 to start with and, and so um it just the environment uh, I think wasn't really good uh, for young attorneys. I think the, the the culture wasn't what I want wanted. You know, I, I've always believed that you know what we're all on the same team. It doesn't matter what your title was. Was it doesn't matter what your position is. You know, I think you know any good attorney attorney will tell you uh, the paralegals and administrative support are what make you know getting your job done possible. Uh, and, and I think in in my experience, um, there was just this very clear divide between the attorneys and everybody else that, you know, wasn't what I wanted in a workplace, I'll say. And so I think, you know, after I'd been there maybe six months or so, I really kind of started to think of what, you know, that this isn't sustainable for the long term, uh, you know, both that and in terms of just mentoring and people really, again, because I was in my second year of really trying to help me grow uh, as an attorney. You know, there is uh, always a little bit of a culture of, you know, sink or swim and kind of getting thrown in the fire. Uh, but you at least want to know that the people uh, who are throwing you in the fire have have your back and your best interest in mind, uh, you know, and, and, and your growth as more than just having someone to, to turn out pro work product. Uh, and I think that there are a lot of places where you go where some of the partners and more senior attorneys are only looking at young associates as you know production machines rather than how can we invest in you to help you become uh, the best attorney you can be whether or not you your career takes you somewhere else or you mm -hmm. stay here and become a partner uh, i think you know in, in my life prior to becoming an attorney i had always had people who were willing to give me opportunities who were invested uh, in my my growth and development and that's something that i wanted to look for you know in my legal career and just didn't really feel like I had it uh, when I first got to Michigan. Yeah, yeah. I think it's really interesting that you had those two sort of back to back experiences because, um, you know, I think people tend to say like, oh, going to a big firm, as I even alluded to, like looking on the Internet and trying to figure out what's the difference between big firms can be so hard. 
but it's interesting to actually have have you been in two two very you know different experiences one of which was really positive and one of which just wasn't a good fit for you and to suss out kind of why that is yeah. i also helps you know i think it helps people move forward in their careers to know what you do like and also what you don't like like it's almost yeah. equally as important to understand that aspect of things as well yeah and, and in the search process of, of going to michigan i i, I used a, a, a recruiter uh, because I didn't know anything about the Michigan market. I didn't know anything about the firms that were there. Again, mm -hmm. having gone to law school in Chicago and, and knew that I was going to work in Chicago, I didn't really have to pay attention uh, mm -hmm. to any other markets. And so I, I had to rely on a recruiter, uh, not really understanding that recruiters, sometimes their interest is just in getting you placed rather than in placing you at the place that works best for you. Uh, you know, later on in my career, I worked with a different recruiter who really found uh, a fantastic uh, spot for me. Uh, unfortunately, it was the last job that I had before coming here and I was only there for three months. But uh, I think, you know, the onus is, is on the attorney to own their career uh, and to make sure that the decisions that they're made and the advice that they're getting, uh, that, they, that, that it serves you best. The, the legal industry is one where people will, will happily take uh, advantage of, of your talents, uh, of your time, uh, and you have to make sure, one, that you're being compensated fairly for it too, but also that you're, you're being benefited in terms of your growth and development. Awesome, yes, I could not agree more with that. Um, okay, so then you take a, a turn and you open your own law firm. <laughs> so so tell us about that for, for a moment, because um, I know that was an interesting experience for you. It was. Um, again, I think part of it was uh, a reaction to the place that I had was working. I mean, part of it, you know, uh, honestly, was was wanting to have more flexibility and control over my own schedule. Uh, again, we knew my father was, was getting kind of close to the end of his life and wanting to be able to be uh, more available to, to help he, him and, and my mother uh, in ways that I couldn't, you know, when I'm trying to bill 2,200 hours uh, a year. And so uh, I'd always had an interest in doing uh, criminal work. Uh, I'd envisioned myself more as, as a prosecutor, but it was an opportunity to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a try. Uh, I, I think, uh, again, in terms of just interest, criminal law and family law, working with you know those those clients, the um, as I've said, the stories are more interesting, the cases are more meaningful when you talk about the the impact of someone's life. Uh, so uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I left after about a year in Detroit and and worked for myself, um, because again, I, I think you can't be afraid to to challenge yourself you know, to, to bet on yourself. Um, but you also have to know who you are. I am not a business person. Uh, I am not a details person, which is not a great trait for a lawyer or a business owner. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the reality of having to drum up business, of having to again open an iota and, 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 and to, you know, track which clients uh, I'm billing with how much hour, how many hours to and how much they owe me and have they paid. And, mm -hmm. you know, I spent, you know, to spend so much time doing that, that I never actually got 
to do the legal work the way that I wanted to. Uh, and, and just for, for a whole host of reasons, it was the timing of it was great. And then I got the flexibility uh, that I wanted, you know, from a family perspective. And I certainly wouldn't change that. Uh, but the reality was it very quickly hit me that I am uh, yet yeah, not uh, a solo practitioner uh, under any circumstances. Um, but I'm, I'm glad I did it. Mm-hmm. Again, to understand uh, what I did and didn't want my legal career to look like. And, and, and there were some great experiences. And I, I have some great stories I can tell uh, about some of the cases that I worked on. But at the end of the day, it was honestly more of, of a place filler uh, in, in my career. Uh, and then I think, you know, again, after, after my father passed, you know, about three months later is when I finally decided to kind of go back and look for a job at, at a bigger firm. I, I left that the big firm that I was originally working at with uh, in Michigan, intentionally knowing that, you know, taking on a third job in, in three years, I would have to account for that if I ever wanted to get back to a bigger firm. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I th- you know, part of my advice is always about being in, intentional about the moves and being able to you know, kind of talk through and justify uh, why you made certain moves in your career, because obviously, you know, something like that, you know, Allison knows, uh, it seemed like every other year I was saying, hey, I've got a new job. Um, (laughs) But being able to to make sure that the decisions that you're making uh, are what's in your best interest. And so again, I I would make that decision uh, again, uh, as challenging as it was, I think it ended up, you know, being an experience that definitely um, helped me in the long run. Well, John, I'm glad you mentioned that and that you're so open about your decisions behind moving to different places and how sometimes something is not a good fit for you or it's okay to try something that doesn't work out. And we had a similar conversation with our guest um with this week's episode, Tom Case, who now is a solo practitioner. You might know Tom, and he, um, also a Northwestern grad, um, he had several different jobs over the course of his eight-year career. I think his tweet today sharing our episode was, <laughs> come listen to my 42 jobs and all of the different <laughs> things I've done. I saw that, um, yeah. And I really appreciated that because it goes against the common wisdom that we're given that you can't, you know, you can't make these changes. You can't stay one place for a year and then go somewhere else and then leave after six months. And sure, there may be some difficulties involved in doing that, but your message is so helpful in that, you know, there, there are reasons behind why people do that. Yeah. Um, And there's usually something else going on outside of what you're working on in your office. And it's okay. Your career will not end. Because yeah, you know, I, I think that's it's so important to, to remind law students and, and even attorneys, uh, yeah. you're a real person, right? <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Life, life happens, <laughs> right? You, someone gets sick, you get married and have to move or, or, or any number of things that you, you can't plan for uh, and can't schedule. Mm-hmm. They just show up, you know, you, you decide to have a family and, and you know, it, it could, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, and those are things that we all deal with, but very rarely do people talk about, uh, but that have, they have huge, uh, huge significance and a huge impact on, on your career. And people need to understand and know that it, that is okay. You, you get to be a person, right? You, you get to, you know, someone gets sick, you get to take time off when, when a family member, you know, needs help or, or just when you just need a break, 
right and 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 decide that you know what this place isn't good you know for me and i need to find something different uh, because the 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 other piece of that is that success is not just a linear straight trajectory right there there are stops and starts and bumps you you leave one place you don't get a job that you apply for and i've had that happen several times and and you just have to figure out how to continue to to you know readjust you know recalculate and continue moving moving forward the best way that you can and i think uh at the end of the day uh, we all end up where we're supposed to be uh, and, and i think that's the most important you know piece to remember so i think that's a perfect segue into your current position and how you ended up exactly where you're supposed to be it seems like so yeah. um as the athletic director at Princeton now, um, which is seriously the coolest, most exciting career thing that I've ever heard. <laughs> I remember you being like, I'm the athletic director. And I was like, come again? Yeah. Because I you said you had you had this you had gotten this other legal job that yeah. was a good fit and you know, we had texted about that and then all of a sudden I was like, say what? Yeah. Um, that's you know, amazing. So it, tell us. How did it come yeah. to be? Yeah. And, and, and I have to tell you, it really starts with going back to, to last year in, in 2020. Uh, and and I, I share with you guys when we spoke before, I interviewed uh, to be uh, an assistant U.S. attorney uh, at the, the office in the Eastern District of Michigan in Detroit uh, three times uh, during 2020 for, for two different positions uh, and didn't get either one. Uh, and, and while I am still uh, bitter about that, simply because uh, my pride won't let me not be bitter, uh, <laughs> I am I am so grateful that I didn't get uh, those positions. I ended up uh, deciding at the end of 2020 I needed to start looking for a, a different firm. I'd been at my previous firm about three and a half years and uh, had kind of really tapped out of, of opportunities there. There was a, we were a small staff. There were about six attorneys there, and you know I was the most junior, uh, and you know was really only ever going to get so many, just a limited number of opportunities to, to grow and develop. Um, so again, I hired another uh, or worked with another recruit, legal recruiter uh, to find a new firm. It was a great fit, uh, had a boss and a, a firm manager that I, I loved. You know, she was fantastic. And, you know, for, for three or four months was, you know, felt like, okay, I'm finally in a place where my legal career uh, can take off. Uh, and then lo and behold, uh, one morning, I started getting text messages that the athletic director at, at Princeton was leaving. Uh, I had stayed you know, in close contact with a lot of the people who, who work here in, in the department and, and throughout college athletics. And, uh, so you know, the text started coming in. You have to apply. This is, you know, this is perfect, blah, 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 blah. And none of them had known that I had actually applied for this job seven years ago uh, when it was open the last time. Uh, and didn't oh get an interview. Gosh, I didn't know that. Uh, and so, uh, I mean, again, when I talk about, you know, we, we end up uh, the place we're supposed to be in the time that we're supposed to be there. Uh, I, I couldn't have done this job seven years ago. You know, I, I needed to kind of go through the process uh, of the last, you know, seven years of learning and, and, and growing. And so uh, I am grateful for, for that time to to practice my legal career, to have those experiences. And so now, you know, sitting in this chair, uh, it, it's kind of incredible. So I, I decided, I talked to my wife and she said, if you don't, if you don't pursue this, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. Again, she's smarter than I am. Yeah. Uh, 
And so, uh, yeah, I, I threw my hat in the ring. And then for about a month and a half, we just, just didn't hear anything. Uh, and then, you know, early July, it, literally in a span of three weeks, it was, hey, we want to interview you next week. Uh, the week after that, I was on campus uh, interviewing in person for a second round interview. And the week after that, they called and offered me the job. And so uh, it was it was a no brainer. Uh, I, I love, obviously, uh, the school and, and what it stands for. Um, you know, I've tried not to hold Allison's uh, undergrad roots uh, <laughs> at Penn against her. I know, um, we've got a little rivalry going. <laughs> But, you know, a chance to, to get to work back, you know, here at a place that just means, you know, so much to me. I met my wife here, met my best mm -hmm. friends here. Uh, you know, it's it's been incredible. You know, we have a thousand student athletes. We have 37 teams. There's 170 uh, people on our staff. And that doesn't include uh, all of the campus and recreation uh, side of my job that really impacts everyone who who's on our campus. So. Uh, it, it really is incredible every day when I wake up that I get to come here uh, to work uh, and, and, and do something that I just, you know, am having a blast doing um, and, and, you know, to do it at a place that, that I really value. John, tell us a little bit more about what an athletic director does. Uh, so I mean, partially it depends on the school. So here, as I mentioned, given the, the size and the scope uh, of our department, we have one of the largest departments in the country in terms of the number of sports and student athletes. So, I mean, again, the, the, the simple basic thing is, is hiring, you know, coaches, you know, uh, which actually I'm in the process of trying to hire a coach right now uh, for our, our women's rugby team. Um, you know, but, but really it, the, the broader, you know, perspective, it's, it's setting vision and, and of course for, for our department, I mean, what kind of, uh, experience we want our student athletes to have about you know encouraging them to engage academically and creating relationships on campus with our our president uh, Chris Eisgruber who's who's fantastic former Supreme Court clerk for for Justice Stevens uh, and you know working with our campus you know community to figure out what Princeton athletics should be how do we balance uh, our academic pursuits and our athletic pursuits so that our student athletes have get the best of both worlds here. Uh, in a way that's really unique and special. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I raise, I do fundraising. You know, I spent uh, last Thursday in New York City kind of running around Manhattan, Manhattan meeting with different alums from various sports to talk about, you know, kind of my vision for, for, for Princeton athletics and, and what we can be and hearing from them about their experiences. And so uh, it's, it's literally everything. Uh, I meet with recruits uh, and, and their parents. Uh, sometimes if the coaches ask me to, you know, I'm engaging in, in the community and really it's, it's just trying to be present for, for our coaches and student athletes. Uh, I, I tell our staff, my job is a support role. Uh, it's to get them the, the resources and opportunities that they need uh, to give our student athletes the, the best best uh, experience, you know, I think anywhere in, in college sports. And so, um, again, if you, you name it, uh, I do it. Um, I'm, you know, I, I talk with the media sometimes. I work, I partner with the other athletic directors across the Ivy League to think more broadly about how the league as a whole functions in terms of, of college athletics and, and really, you know, um, kind of try to establish a role uh, 
in, in, in NCAA, you know, intercollegiate athletics more broadly. So there's not, there's, there's really no part of our department that I don't touch in, in, in some way. Uh, I have the benefit of having a, a fantastic staff who, who really helps, you know, uh, do a lot of the, the, the dirty work. I get to show up and, and smile and, you know, take pictures and wave. Um, but they've really done all the hard work. So uh, it, it is uh, a lot uh, dealing, you know, dealing with discipline, dealing with mm-hmm. you know, problem solving, you know, yeah. uh, from a facility standpoint, from, from uh, you know, resources standpoint, um, working with everything from, you know, our admissions department to our financial aid department. So uh, the, the reach is, is pretty extensive, um, but I, I wouldn't want to do anything else. John, you mentioned a couple of athletic directors um, in your past who were also attorneys, or you said former attorneys. Yeah. And then you mentioned um, the university president was a former attorney and Supreme Court clerk. What skills from your legal training are instrumental for your job as athletic director? I'd say the first thing is is just uh, a way of processing information, just being able to read through a, a volume of information and, and sort mm-hmm. of synthesize it down, you know, again, all uh, with, reading from with all that reading out. I was supposed to do, <laughs> you know, okay. what are the highlights here and what are the main takeaways that I need? Yeah. Uh, but again, you, you know, we, we don't always have the time to read line by line, word by word as as we'd like to. And so being able to read a volume of information and synthesize it down and then to be able to take that and and deliver, you know, a a message or craft an argument based on on what you've read and processed. Uh, I think the other piece is, as I talked about a little bit earlier, is being able to think critically uh, about information, uh, about ideas. Uh, I, I told our staff, I said, listen, when you bring me an idea, I'm going to try to punch holes in it. I'm going to try to tell you all the reasons it won't work. I'm going to try to break it apart. Uh, and I'm going to do it to make sure that the idea you've brought me or the proposal you've brought me is the best version uh, of the idea or the proposal. Because if I'm going to go and talk to the president or somebody, uh, I'm only going to have the conversation once. And I can't afford to go into the president's office and he says, well, have you thought about this or that or doing it this way? Uh, I, I said he doesn't have you know, time uh, and I don't have time you know, to kind of have that argument. So when we sit and talk about it, I need, I, I'm going to think very, very critically not to try to uh, make you feel bad or to say that you're doing a bad job, but so that I know that we've thought through this uh, as as in-depthly and, and as conclusively as, as we need to, to make sure that, that what we've come up with um, is the best argument. Uh, and, and as you both know, sometimes you don't have any good arguments and you have to kind of manufacture one, right? Yeah. And so it's right. We don't have, the facts are not in our favor. The law is not in our favor. Uh, what can we say that sounds good? Uh, and so being able to, you know, to be honest and to assess, you know, things that way and, and understanding who is your audience, what are they receptive to, you know, uh, you, you may only have, whether it's me talking to the president or, or somebody in the business, business world, you may only have five minutes to make an argument or, you know, you may go in with 30 minutes of things and say, you know, okay, give me the best five minute version of it and you have to be able to pivot to know what your highlights are to drive home the message and and you know get across what you need to and so i think for me being able to do that 
uh, now having, you know, when you go into a, uh, an oral argument on a motion, you know, sometimes the judge asks a question before you've had a chance to give your well-crafted and well-thought-out argument. And they qu the question may be something you hadn't even thought about, you know, and, and so you have to be able to, to take it, to process it, to understand what your case looks like, and then you know, put your best foot forward, uh, which is sometimes easier than others. And so, you know, to me, that that's on a daily basis. You know, when, when I have conversations with people on campus about proposals or ideas or how we can continue to partner together, you know, that they have a perspective. They, they have an experience that I don't have. And so being able to, to listen to that and figure out and try to navigate where are the opportunities uh, to kind of get my message uh, across uh, you know, that that's legal training all day long. Okay, so I have the reverse question, which maybe seem a little strange, but we actually had a guest earlier um, this season who was also a college athlete, and she talked a lot about how, you know, teamwork um, and sort of stick-to-itiveness and a lot of the skills that she had learned as a college athlete helped her in her legal career. So I'm curious, because this seems to be like full circle you've now got. Yeah got the, the full package, having been a you know college athlete, having gone to law school and now moving into the athletic director position. So I'm curious, you know, how did your sports background also help influence, you know, both maybe your legal career, but, but yeah. also sort of the position you're in now, because it seems like you've got the sort of full scope in a great way. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's no better training ground than, than sports, you know, for, for a whole host of reasons that teaches you lessons. Uh, in a way that nothing else does. You know, you know, for example, one of the things we talk to our, our student athletes about is, is about uh, receiving, you know, negative feedback, right? You know, when, when you play sports, you are used to your coach trying to improve you, telling you what you've done wrong, telling you mm -hmm. to do better, uh, that your best effort sometimes isn't good enough. Uh, and so if you've never had that in the first draft of a brief you write and it comes back from a partner and they've said, uh, yeah, do this over this isn't good. You've missed this, these whole, this five arguments and you didn't find this case. If you don't have that, uh, that, that foundation to know it, it's not personal. They're not saying that you're a bad person. They're just saying the work product isn't what it should have been. Uh, you know, it, it can keep you up at night. And, and so, you know, when, when I think about, you know, sports, you know, the, the, the competitiveness, right. I mean, it's just mock trial, oral argument things. It's just, you know, I want to win. And so what is going to give me the best chance writing a brief, you know, trying to, to figure out where do I put that 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 one line in the brief that's going to like, you know, that the judge is going to remember. Right. Or where do I put that that one phrase uh, in, you know, in, in an oral argument or a closing that the jury's going to they don't remember anything else. They remember this. Right. It, it's it's it's. It's a competitive environment, you know, when you talk about litigation. And, and so uh, I do think there's absolutely an aspect of, of teamwork um, and, and individualism within that, you know. And so, you know, again, I, I was uh, a runner, right? So, and, and Allison will laugh at this, but if you're on a relay race, uh, <laughs> you are out there by yourself one at a time. The end result is a collaborative effort, but you are responsible for for carrying your your leg of the race and so when you're writing a brief if i'm writing the first draft allison's doing the second draft what i pass to her matters you know and so i have to make sure that i'm giving her something that's going to let her do the best job that she can so she doesn't have to go back you know edit 
for typos or or punctuation or or grammar that's like did you even read this thing you know so so it is it's a collaborative environment but that's also uh very uh individually driven within a team setting and and i think the best firms and the best work environments approach things that way so that you know people do have autonomy and they do have some freedom to kind of add their own personal flair and work style but that they all remember that there's a a, a bigger picture you know uh, at you know the firm i started with in chicago it was always kind of you know my job is to make the partner good you know happy and the partner's job is to make the client happy and the partner can't make the client happy if i haven't made the partner happy and so understanding that you know how sports you know fil- those lessons filter into to the work setting i think is is really important and i will just add that the relay race metaphor is the <laughs> metaphor that will keep on getting forever because that was the best metaphor used in this setting and the reason john said that i was going to laugh is because when i said earlier that he would just get up in his closing arguments in mock trial and just have this incredible you know metaphor or whatever it was to throw it back at the other side he used this metaphor in closing <laughs> argument that none of us saw coming so I love this more than anything. <laughs> it's it's that that's how my sports background has played into into my legal practice. I love that. That says it all. Well, I'm going to quote John Mack to John Mack. So, John, you told us that law school gives you a set of school, skills that are invaluable, but that doesn't mean that you're best suited as an attorney. How did you get comfortable with that? I think part of it is just you know age and maturity um you only get a, a certain number of years to live uh and at a certain point you just want to make the, the best use of the time that you have and the worst thing you can do is trying to spend time doing something you don't want to do or being something that you're just not you know and, and i think again it comes with an age and realizing you know what i was never going to be a great attorney because I don't like to be in the details uh, the way that really good attorneys do. Uh, So I had plenty of briefs that I just didn't proofread as closely or didn't, you know, you know, cite your cases as closely. And it just, you know, it ended up causing more work and effort on the back end, um, partially because it just wasn't the environment. I I benefited from the legal training. Uh, I was not best suited to be an attorney. Uh, and, and, And I felt that, you know, for a long time. And, and again, I, I kept working because, you know, until something else came along. Um, but at the end of the day, you, you, you have to do what what lines up with with your skill set uh, and, and with what your what your values are. And I think there is this this um, mentality of or, of uh, if I'm not a lawyer, you know, that, that you know, when you pass the bar, there's this enormous sense of achievement and accomplishment, and rightfully so, because it is hell getting through all of that. Um, but then to kind of step away from that, you know, for some people, I think is a bit of an identity crisis, because if I'm not a lawyer, uh, then what am I? And, and I think you, you, it takes a measure of self-confidence to be able to say, even though I'm not a lawyer, I'm still all of these other things, uh, and I still have an enormous you know background and, and skill set that i could apply in any number of ways uh, that will ultimately make me happier uh, in many ways make more money and just add to a, just a more well-rounded life um, 
but but it, it 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 takes time to get there, and you have to spend time with people outside. I think many times outside of the uh, off the hamster wheel of being an attorney yeah. to really understand that you have other options uh, that many times are are a better choice for you. Yeah, so I think that also connects to another question I wanted to ask you, which is so you're also a pastor. Um, which is, I know, something that's been a a huge part of your life and is something outside the law, off of the hamster wheel, as you said, Um, and uh, at the same time has been, I think, you know, in you told us in our previous conversation, something that also was really helpful in terms of tying in sort of crafting a message, as you said, in your current job and um, you know, uh, delivering kind of an open yeah. argument every Sunday morning, I think is, is the words that, that you used, if I can steal them from you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so, yeah, I just, if you can bring that into the conversation a little bit, just because I think that has been such an important part of who you are and, and your ability to be an amazing sort of orator just in all sorts of different settings as well. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it was, you know, I, I grew up my father was a pastor before me of actually the same church and so when you're the 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 son of the pastor you're you're constantly being pushed in front of people to to give speeches and to say things and to sing songs i don't sing uh and to just (laughs) you know to be out front and it first it develops uh, i think for me it developed a natural comfort uh being in front of people that i think a lot of people I mean, will be years into adulthood before they ever really develop, if they, they develop. And so for me, it was just, you know, by the time I got to college, standing in front of a group of 200, 300 people was just, you know, second nature for me. Um, but I think when, when I started pastoring, having had my legal training uh, influenced the way that I, that I, that I taught and spoke without me consciously thinking about it, you know, I would organize sermons like I was organizing a brief with, with, with bullet point formats and try to make sure that I'm putting the right reference points in places and being able to, you know, when I sit up on a Sunday morning, I'm moving back and forth. I'm trying to make eye contact with people. I'm trying to make sure that my hand placement and gestures are appropriate <laughs> uh, and not wildly all over the place, which is some of the things that Rick taught us, you know, and yeah. so uh, it was literally like giving, you know, a closing argument every Sunday morning and, and really trying to get people to believe what I'm saying, because I've given them the evidence, the the, the, the facts created a story and a narrative uh, that didn't leave them with any other option. And I think that's exactly what you, you, know, you try to do uh, when you're arguing in front of a judge or a jury is you're trying to create a narrative, you're trying to provide them with the evidence that leads them to what you hope is an inevitable conclusion that you're right. Uh, and, and so for me, it, it was it was a really seamless kind of uh, transition to being able to do that I mean, while practicing uh, and, and crafting a sermon was literally just like crafting uh, a good oral argument uh, and which, you know, again, my legal training helped in ways that I hadn't anticipated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool to think about all the different ways that the law and legal training has helped you that have nothing to do really with the law as well. I think that's such a huge benefit of being a lawyer. And as you said, you don't have to end up being a lawyer. Like there's just so much value in the skill yeah. set that you're provided um, in law school in, in so many different ways and unanticipated ways, as you said yeah. as well. And that's yeah. been the story for many of our guests who didn't necessarily have a strong idea about what they wanted to do in law school or after law school, but thinking about it as a training ground 
for many, many different things, whether working in a firm or in the traditional legal practice or not. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very similar to what I, what we, I tell our, our current students is that you have four years here to, to explore, uh, to take classes and subjects you have never been exposed to and may never be exposed to again, uh, partially to figure out who you are. I think we all come with an idea of I am this kind of person. I like these kinds of things. And we kept march happily along until we're confronted with other options and alternatives many times, which we've never considered. And so uh, I think law school should, should be that way. There should be a segment of law school that, you know, you are encouraged to, to think broadly, to have experience, uh, experiences outside your comfort zone. Right. I think that's one of the things that we all kind of retreat to what's safe and what's familiar. But it's uh, it's only when you really kind of get outside the, the boundaries of what you've always done, where you found out, you find out, you know what, uh, maybe I do want to do public interest law or maybe I am a big law person or, you know, what, maybe I want to clerk or be a judge or maybe I want to go and do this whole other thing that's completely you know unrelated to being an attorney. But. Uh, my, my legal training has practical application. And, and so uh, I, I think that's one of the things that law schools should, should really think about more broadly is what are the internships, what are the opportunities that we're creating for students that help them outside of the legal space to really give them an opportunity so that you're not five or seven or 10 years into your career before you realize I had other options, I just didn't know it uh, at the time. John, we would love to chat with you all day, but I'm sure that you have many other things to get to in your day. So I'm going to ask you our last question for the podcast. What does success mean to you? Hmm. That is a really big question. And when <laughs> and you I always like to end on this one because it's, so, it's kind of hard. Yeah. Softball for the end. I was going to say, when you ask a pastor and attorney a really big question like that, you may get a really long answer. Um, <laughs> I have editing powers. <laughs> uh, I mean, one, I, I think it's personal, right? It, it's understanding, having made your best effort uh, as an individual to achieve whatever objective you, you, you pursue and having done it in a way that lets you celebrate it with the, the people uh, who are most important to you. Um, it's hard. I don't know that, you know, success is a, a destination. Uh, I think it's, it's you know, a, a continual journey and, and kind of continuing to reevaluate. Am I making the best use of my talent and resources? Uh, am I valuing, you know, my relationships uh, the way I should? Am I happy? Uh, it, it's a combination of all of those things. Uh, and I think you, you can only evaluate success on a daily basis, right? It, it, you know, was I successful today? You know, um, am I, was I successful yesterday? You know, I think it's the accumulation of those individual days uh, that ultimately, you know, uh, makes a, a person successful. And so it's, you know, one of the lessons all of our coaches talk to our teams about is, is it's, it's not the destination, it's the journey. If, if we get the journey right, uh, again, as, as I've said before, we'll, we'll end up where we're supposed to end up. So, so success is really about how we get to where we're supposed to be. I love that. Well, thank you so much, John, for chatting with us. As we said, I know you're My in pleasure. your oh, dream you. job now, so you have obviously <laughs> taken your success uh, advice and heeded it yourself. Um, 
we're so impressed and proud of you for where you've where you've gone and where you've Thank where you. you've come from and where you've gone. <laughs> um, if I can even speak uh, anymore. Uh, so thank you so much for for being with us. It was really a, pr- a pleasure to have you on Personal thanks, Jurisdiction. Really thank you so much. I think this is a fantastic thing that you you guys are doing for for attorneys. And uh, I'll come back another time and uh, I can tell uh, stories about Allison and I tr- uh, my trial team days that uh, we'll <laughs> we'll need a whole separate podcast for that. Yeah, we're fine. <laughs> we need a season two. You know, we're going to the end of season one. So that sounds like perfect content. Uh, thanks both of you thank you john all right thanks john don't go away there's more to come in the due diligence portion of our show hi everyone we are back for due diligence and this is very exciting due diligence because it is our very last episode of the season and i think we're going out with a bang here because john mack was such a wonderful guest Um, so I know that Hallie and I actually had the same idea for what we wanted to chat about on due diligence after 12 episodes. We're we're right. The same nailed it. (laughs) So I think, you know, Hallie, we over the course of this season have heard from a lot of different people who have switched careers many times, who have transitioned either laterally in a law firm, you know, to in-house counsel, to, you know, a different public interest job than the one they started in. Um, And I think with John, he adds an interesting layer to that, you know, piece because he decided very recently to actually move out of the legal field and become an athletic director. And so, you know, I just think this episode really highlighted that even, you know, legal training and the skills that you gain can be invaluable if you decide to move out of the law. Mm -hmm. And that might be the right decision for some people. Um, And there's so many different careers you can go into and still use your legal degree and your legal skills but not necessarily be, quote unquote, traditionally a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, I hope this episode gives people the permission to not only think about moving within the legal field, but also out of it, if that's what yeah. you really feel like the direction that your career should go. Yeah. I thought John was very brave in exploring with us how there were certain things about at least being a litigation attorney specifically some attention to detail things that he just realized were not his strong points and that he has no regrets about going to law school and uses the skills that he learned in law school and through his legal training every day. But Mm -hmm. that actually being a litigation attorney, writing the briefs was not the best fit for him after he tried it out. He gave it a try for several years and then realized he could do something that would make him happier, that he would be more engaged with, and that would use some of those same skills in a different setting. Yeah, I like that you said it, it's brave because I do think it, it is. It's scary to kind of you know say, okay, I'm not going to be a lawyer anymore um, mm-hmm. after you've gone to law school and put in the you know financial yeah burden and the sweat and tears of getting through that, yeah. and then of you know moving through your legal career because he's been a lawyer for quite some time as mm-hmm. well. Um, I think it's brave. And I also think there's a lot of introspection that he's done that I think is crucial to getting you to a place where you're in a career where you're happy. Because as you said, he was able to sort of parse like, here's what I'm good at. Here's what I'm not good at. Here's what I like. Here's what I don't like. And all of those things led him to be able to kind of, you know, move into a space that's not traditionally 
being a lawyer. And so I do think, you know, taking time to step back. And as he said, because he has so much sort of depth of experience prior to law school, I think that helped him too, to be able to look inside and say, actually, here's what I really want to do. And he had some good examples of people that he worked with who had done Mm -hmm. something similar. Um, I also appreciated that he shared with us some of his failures. I mean, I wouldn't even really call them failures, but just trying out things that didn't work. Yeah. And that, again, it all turned out to be okay. And now he's exactly. doing something that he enjoys because of the relationships that he's built and the experience that he's gained over the past several years. So I'm looking forward to chatting with more guests about the types of careers that you can have with legal training, but that take place outside of what we consider typical legal careers in law firms um, or in government and things like that. Because I think there's so much more out there than we than we ever imagined. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's a perfect segue into letting all of you, our listeners, know um, that we, although this is our last episode for season one, we will be back for season two next year. Woo! Um, In the meantime, between the end of this episode and um, when we air season two, we will be doing a couple of bonus episodes, including one where Hallie and I reflect on this season um, and kind of a a wrap-up, I guess we'll call it. Um, And so look out for that. Uh, And in the meantime, we would so appreciate if you can, you know, share uh, this, this podcast with friends, with colleagues, with anyone you think might be interested. We would love to continue to grow our listeners um, and help as many uh, lawyers and as John calls them recovering lawyers um, <laughs> uh, as possible uh, so yeah share it like us on social media follow us on Twitter um, you know like our LinkedIn posts all of those things uh, and we really hope that you will tune in for season two and for our bonus episodes which are to come shortly and you can even be old-fashioned and send us an email at personaljxpod yes. at gmail.com if you have ideas about things that you'd like to see in season two um, or people you'd like to hear from, or if you'd like to volunteer yourself to be interviewed on personal jurisdiction, we would love to hear from you um, because Allison and I have been working on this podcast really as a way to hopefully provide good information so that you all can make better decisions in your career. So we'd love to hear from you, good or bad. We love the feedback, so send it along. And um, we will see you next time. See you next time. Personal Jurisdiction is powered and distributed by Simplecast. You don't have to wait until next week to hear more. You can find us online at personaljxpod.com and on Twitter at personaljxpod. Don't forget to subscribe to Personal Jurisdiction on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen so that you can be updated on the latest and greatest from Personal Jurisdiction. If you like what you hear, make sure to rate us five stars and leave a positive review so that other listeners can find our show too.